it's time to buckle up for a new episode of Raise Nation Radio, the one and only podcast made to inspire fundraisers like you to continue making impact in our communities, building better tomorrows and exchanging ideas. So whether you're a trailblazer or seasoned pro, you'll pick up the trends that transform your fundraising. And together, we'll dive into lively conversations, and we're going to chat with industry-leading fundraisers and thought leaders to explore hot-button issues and innovative ideas. So stay with us for the next 30 minutes while we inspire you to embrace the future of fundraising. All right. Welcome back to Raise Nation Radio. I'm excited to chat with my next guest. If you're new to the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, We stream on 10 different podcast channels, so you can find us everywhere. So please give us a follow so you can get notifications and um, stay connected with us. If you've been with us before, thank you, thank you, thank you um, for making the show so popular and um, helping us get to 120 one and counting episodes. So we're super excited that we have this community where we can just talk candidly about fundraising issues. And today's topic is a good one because it's one I don't know too much about. I'm so excited to welcome to the show, Mitch Stein from Chariot. He's the head of strategy. Um, Mitch, welcome to Race Nation Radio. Hey, Don. Thanks so much for having me and excited to, to be with you all in the audience. Yeah, I'm excited too, because I think this is one of those instances where you hear something um, for the first time or you hear something once and then all of a sudden, it's everywhere, right? So we're going to be talking about DAFs today. And I know what that acronym stands for, Donor Advised Funds. Is that right? Correct. You're spot on. Good. Okay. I get a gold star for today. Okay. I don't know too much about it. I have a ton of questions for you. And I'm so glad that we're going to get into the topic because I do feel you know, I mean, I've, I've heard of DAFs before, donor advised funds before, but I feel like all of a sudden it's hot, hot, hot. And I don't know why that is, but hopefully you'll tell us. But before we dive into it and we get to the million questions that I have for you, I do want our audience to get to know you better and to get to know Chariot better. So tell us about yourself, about charity, what you do there and whatever else you want to share so our audience gets to know you. Sure. Well, as you said, my name is Mitch Stein. Uh, I'm the head of strategy here at Chariot. Uh, I'm based in New York City. I live in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn, for anyone out there that's a Brooklynite. Um, And I've been in New York City for about 10 years, but I actually originally grew up in Indiana, which I know a lot of the One Cause team is based there. So we have that in common. Um, And I've been working around kind of nonprofit technology and innovation for the past four years. Uh, Prior to that, I was an investment banker for seven years. I like to say in a former life because it feels so long ago. Um, And then I, I left that job to start a nonprofit tech startup called Pond, which was a marketplace between nonprofit organizations and different vendors. I remember vendors. that. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So we worked on that for about three years and um, ended up having to close the business down, which is a whole nother conversation about startups, wins and losses and successes and failures. Um, but you know, on the other side, I ended up connecting with the team at Chariot, um, which has built just an amazing solution for a growing um, opportunity and big challenge in the nonprofit sector around donor advised funds, which we're going to talk about today. Um, and so the company provides solutions for nonprofits to raise more money from donor advised fund donors and improve their processes internally and better engage with those donors. So we're, we can talk more about it, but it's a, as you mentioned, you're hearing about it more because it's 
um, rapidly changing the face of philanthropy. I mean, just last year, more money was donated to DAPS than private foundations for the first Wait, time ever. Stop. Um, more money was donated to donor advised funds than were donated. Say that again. Yeah, more money went into was contributed to donor advised funds yep. than private foundations over $80 billion. Wow. Um, so we're seeing this trend um, where donor advised funds are becoming um, a favored place for money to go for philanthropists. And that's being driven not only by the largest um you know, multi-million dollar philanthropists, but also everyday donors and just like intentional givers are opening up these accounts, um, which, you know, there's a lot to dig into there, why that's happening and what that means for nonprofits. But I think the fact we can all agree on is this is changing and changing really rapidly. So it's an important thing to pay attention to as a fundraiser. All right, let's start at the very beginning. What is a DAF? What is a donor advised fund for some people that might think they know like me, but maybe don't really know. So let's just define it right from the get-go. Totally. Yeah. I think what resonates most for people is to think about a DAF just like a 401k for your retirement savings or like an HSA for health spending, um, but it's for charitable giving. So people open, it's effectively like a savings account for the money that they want to give away to charity. Um the reason that it's become really popular is because there's a lot of tax similar to a 401k or an HSA. There's a lot of tax advantages. So I can contribute money or securities assets to a donor advised fund, and I get a full tax write-off for that contribution right there in that year. And then in the future, I can give money away to nonprofits out of that fund that I already set up and it's invested in the market. So it continues growing um, just like you would do with your 401k or HSA. Got it. So that's interesting um, that you said that, I, I guess if you're very philanthropic, generous, whatever you want to coin it, you would perhaps start a family foundation or find a foundation or work with a foundation, put your money in that place to safeguard it for future. But you're actually saying the trend is shifting and people are, instead of going that route, private foundations, they're actually creating these, I mean, I have an HSA, I have a 401k, my husband does, right? We, we do all the things, you know, to lower our tax liability and safeguard money for different things that we need money for. And why is generosity any different, right? I think that's what we're saying, yeah. but the trend is now to maybe where a private foundation was once an option. This is another option and it's trending more so than a private foundation. Is that what we talked about when you first started chatting about that? Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit it spot on. And I would just think that there's two um, trends to be mindful of, of why this is growing so much and why it's so popular. Um, there is definitely on like the larger donor end, an alternative to a private foundation, which you've been yeah. on spot on. But it's also on the more like, I'll call it mass market trends, like yourself and your husband, um, people that are just intentional with both how they want to manage their tax liabilities and their giving. Um, it's a great option for that. And it's becoming a more common thing for um, employers to offer as an employee benefit. 
and just more and more individuals that are generous that have gives them an easy way to stay accountable um, and to their giving goals. Um, on the on the uh, the comparison with private foundation side, I think that's an important one for fundraisers to understand because often, particularly in major donor conversations where you're going to get into these topics one-on-one where you might not have as much of that for your broader like individual giving. Um, for someone who has more significant wealth that is interested in one of these vehicles, the reason that DAFs are becoming a more interesting vehicle is because it's just so simple and more like yeah. less administratively burdensome. You know, when you set up a private foundation, you're going to hire someone to do the setting up a lawyer. You're going to need to set up a board, have board meetings, um, make filings, get audits, um, manage your own assets in the foundation, um, have grant making processes and often like have systems for all those things. Like, there's a lot of operational requirements to run a foundation. When you open a DAF account, you still effectively get to determine where those grants are made out over time whenever you'd like. Um, but you don't have to do any of the setup right. or management or administration. So all of your money is, I should say differently, none of your money is needing that you've contributed needs to go to cover the costs of the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to move 100% of that through the DAF to the grants you want to make, keep it in, and also manage those assets really easily. Like DAFs are set up to take in both publicly traded securities and more complicated assets like art collections or real estate, like anything can be put into a DAF. And it's sort of their expertise is also liquidating those things easily because only cash can leave a donor advised fund. So it's a better for the nonprofit. Only cash. Okay. Yeah. Cause then the nonprofit that's receiving it is not having to like, how do I take this security or this Mm -hmm. asset? And what do I do and figure out how to liquidate it? The DAF is handling all that, and the nonprofit just gets cash, which is a really interesting evolution in the market. I have so many questions. I don't even know where I want to go first. I, let's stay <laughs> on the foundation versus DAF for just one one, one more moment. Yeah. I Are there any requirements with DAFs like there are with foundations? I believe that you have to distribute 5% with a private foundation. I believe you, the ruling is that you have to distribute 5% of your revenue, your donations annually, do, do you have those same requirements with DAFs or are you just safeguarding that money to distribute whenever, wherever, however? Yeah. So private foundations have a 5% of assets requirement um, yeah, that we go. to be distributed each year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the uh, actual distribution percentage is around 5%. People stick pretty close to that requirement because the most people historically have set up foundations to be perpetual vehicles. It's kind of the goal is, and that's why it's set at 5% because you're thinking like the, that's long-term average return in the market. So this can go on forever. Um, DAFs, I wouldn't say are necessarily set up to be perpetual instruments. There isn't a, uh, there is no requirement for when you need to distribute that money. So yes, it offers like total flexibility, mm-hmm. um, and so some people look at that and criticize it and say, this is this is a way that someone can get away with, um, you know, they get the tax write-off for contributing to the DAF, and then there's no requirement on when it needs to move to an operating charity. Um, and But the interesting thing is the payout rate, whereas with private foundations is close to 5%, for DAFs, 
ever since they started tracking it like 15 years ago, uh, it's been over 20% per year. Interesting. So people generally wow. are using this as a much more like active and engaged vehicle. Um, and I think that's partially in how they're set up to not necessarily be like a perpetuating, um, right. uh, perpetuating fund. Um, but it's an interesting topic that I think is worth, there's legislation that's under consideration as we speak about what incremental regulation and requirements can be made on DAFs. But as of today, they are extremely flexible for donors, which is another reason why they're popular. Yeah, well, that's interesting, the, the criticism, because I didn't think of it that way. I actually thought of it the opposite way, like this would help structure my husband and I to make those charitable donations that sometimes we forget to do, right? It's at the end of the year and I'm like, oh, you know, did we do this? Did we do that? You know, are we take, being responsible for, you know, generosity and philanthropy and building better tomorrows? It can't be all on the nonprofit. They need donors, right? Like, what did we do this year? I can't remember, you know, did you write a check for somebody? I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, that that's typically how the conversation goes in my house. I feel like this would structure us a little bit better and give us, you know, that, that reminder. So I'd have to, you know, go against that criticism. And I, I can see why it's being spent. The other thing that I like about it is that sometimes alignment changes. When, when you open up your own foundation, you really have to have a mission and a direction about programming and you're staying pretty much in that lane. But I know for myself, I've been aligned with different missions for various reasons. My grandmother had Alzheimer's, you know, my grandfather passed from a heart attack, um, you know, who's had cancer, who's in my family, you know, as the years have gone by, I've been affected by different, different missions. And so I would like that flexibility to be generous in different, in different areas where if I started a, a family foundation, it probably would be targeted in one direction. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I think that it just goes along with the fact that you have to make those determinations when you start a foundation. And there's uh, a lot of operational requirements. And so if, if if you have a significant sum of money and you want it to be, um, you know, have that level of like infrastructure and operating for a reason, then like, that's great. But I think what a lot of people are realizing that don't want to, I'll call it like professionalize. Yeah. Their, like, they don't want to hire staff. They don't, you know, they don't want to create all that overhead. It's just like a so much, so much easier. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I, I think that is a really common trend. And what, what you said about the planning and, and proactive nature, I think where you see it a lot is particularly if someone is compensated in equity, for example, and they get stock in a company, and so they might sell a larger block of shares and have a lot of um, potential capital gains tax liability. Uh, we see that people will put a chunk of that into a donor advised fund because they don't have to pay any of the capital gains on the shares that go into their DAF and they get the full write-off up front. And so now I've, I've had a specific wealth creation event and I've set money aside to give away to charity for the next three, five, 10 years. Um, and doing it in a larger lump sum. And then to your point over time, it's a great way to track where are you giving, be mindful of your year over year changes, make it really easy to support an organization again the next year. All those things are really beneficial to a nonprofit. All right, so we figured out why, we, well, we, we've detailed how it's good for the donor. 
lots of benefits, flexibility. Why now is it, why should the nonprofit be so interested in DAFs? I mean, I get it, but um, with the criticism there, you know, do they, are they going to be the recipient or is this a donor move for, you know, making their tax portfolio look, you know, making their taxes look a little bit uh, cleaner and sharper. What's in it for the nonprofit? I mean, I know it's in it for the nonprofit, but why should the nonprofit be excited about it today? Yeah, I mean, I think just the scale of the DAF market and the rate of change is something we're not used to seeing in philanthropy. Like this segment has been growing over 20% per year on average for over five years. 20% Um, growth per year for the past five years. Yeah. Okay. That's a number. That's the the amount that's being granted to nonprofits from donor advised funds. So last year, that was $52 billion. Oh, Um, Mitch. (laughs) But over five years, I mean, that's grown so exponentially. um, And it doesn't really show any signs of abating, um, especially when you, those latest figures are from 2022. And the biggest driver of DAF activity is rising in the stock market because that's what people use for those appreciated assets. And 2023 was a banner year for uh, the S&P and and other indices. So we're expecting another big surge once we get the data from 2023. Um, And so the reality is it's just growing so fast. And if a nonprofit isn't being proactive and setting a strategy around this, just like they would foundation grants and major giving and individual giving and whatever else um, you're developing your fundraising strategy around, you're likely gonna be missing out because as every fundraiser knows, you only get what you ask for. (laughs) And so- you have to ask. And you have to ask. And And we just see that the more people are engaging with their donors to understand who has a DAF, tracking who has a DAF, when they get a DAF gift, making sure they're, they know who it's from and who initiated it, which is harder than it sounds, which we can dig into, um, that it's going to help you in know who those donors are, engage with them as the high potential uh, donors that you know that they're likely to be, um, and just get larger gifts from them. So, I mean, again, looking at the stats, why people should care, there are over $230 billion dollars that are sitting in donor advised funds as of the latest numbers. Oh my um, gosh. That money, ha- that money, the only thing that it can leave those accounts for is to a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So it's waiting to be given away. Um, How much was that same, again? $230 billion? billion dollars. Yeah. Sitting in donor and, advised funds. Yeah. And fifty billion <gasps> was how fifty-two billion was how much moved to nonprofits in that same year. Okay. Um, so it's wow. just the Do scale the of this market is, is massive. Um, there are over 3 million people that have access to and use donor advised funds. That figure has grown 500% in the last seven years. Um, so it's telling you that there's more and more of them. This is, these aren't so rare. Uh, and the average donor advised fund holder and account holder uh, gives away almost $5,000 per gift. The average gift is almost five grand. Uh, for context, that's 24 times as large as the average online credit card gift. Yeah. 
Wow. Um, and these these don't the average account size and no credit card transaction fees. Yeah, and the average um, account size is about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So these are just big numbers, and there's a lot of them, and they're also much more um, frequent donors than the general population. So the average DAF donor makes 12 donations a year, whereas the average general population donor makes two. So they're six times as generous, their gifts are 24 times larger, like all these reasons that you want to take them seriously and have a proactive plan to reach out to them. Now, I would say the nature of DAFs is such that um, people set this money aside in the specific fund exclusively dedicated to charitable giving. But the reality is they're hard to use in all the instances where you're inspired to give. So what do I, I mean, what yeah, I mean by that? Explain that, that to me. <laughs> If I get an email from you telling me about your campaign or a friend of mine is raising money through a marathon or I'm at an event and I've heard this like gut wrenching speech by an executive director and I'm ready to support and I put all my money aside in a DAF, I can't use it in any of your donation forms or on your website. I have to log into my bank account, look up an organization, make sure I have the right one submit a grant request. It takes several minutes. And this was the fundamental challenge that Chariot wanted to solve is if we can make DAFs more usable, just like a credit card in all these instances where people are most inspired to support, um, then can we move more of that $230 billion faster uh, by making this more usable? So there's, it's actually a payment option just like it would sit next to PayPal or Venmo for me to use my DAF as easily or even faster than I would use a credit card uh, on your donation forms, on your website, anywhere where a donor is inspired to give. Okay. Wow. I love when guests come with so much data and facts to back up what, what they're saying. But though, I mean, those figures that you put out were a little bit jaw, jaw, jaw dropping. So I wonder if, um, our audience is listening, they probably have some light bulbs going off. Um, how, how, how do you implement a DAF program and a, mm -hmm. how can Chariot help? Because those that are probably listening to this podcast on a Saturday, driving their kids to the soccer, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. Because I did the math. It was $230 billion and only $50 billion were, were distributed. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that there's some big billion numbers there. So they want a chunk of that. Can you help our audience how they get up and running? What are the first three things that they should be doing? What should they be thinking mm -hmm. about? And how can Chariot help them? Yeah. Do you Lots say of questions with a B? there. <laughs> yeah, billion with a B. It's yes, those numbers are real and shocking, and likely much larger today than they were when they were reported wow. at the end of 2022. So, um, all amazing questions. Um, I would say there's easy things that any organization can do. Um, first and foremost is to doing what you're doing right now, listening to this podcast, becoming informed and educated about what DAFs are, why they use them, so that you can have an informed conversation with a donor um, if they're considering a DAF or asking you or they say they have a DAF and they want to support. Like being able to answer those questions and being familiar and comfortable is super important. So I would say number one is just getting educated. This podcast is a great resource. 
Um, there's a ton of resources on Chariot's blog. And if you follow me on LinkedIn, I'm putting out content every week um, to help people better understand DAFs and how they work and what the opportunity is. So number one is just education, getting up to speed. Um, maybe a 1B, if I can, is sharing that with your teams, your uh, your board, your executive leaders. Um, I think as you mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, a lot of people aren't super familiar with this. And so it's hard for them to get bought in on a strategy if they don't know all the data and, and how important this opportunity is. Um, so that's the first area is just around education. Um, Not just educating yourself, but educating your donors, right? Because mm-hmm. they may go ahead and start a DAF fund because they heard it from you and didn't think to do it before. So education goes two ways. Just had to throw that in there, but go ahead. Let me hear the, no. let me hear your other points. Uh, totally. And I would just add, it's, it's really similar. Some people will have the reaction like, wait, do I want to encourage someone to put their money in a DAF? Shouldn't I just tell them to give it to me? Um, but I think it's, it's a little short-sighted. It's similar to a planned giving conversation where yeah. you, you want to say, like, set up a will and talk to a donor about the importance of creating a legacy and legacy giving and making sure they set that up. And by leading that conversation with them, they're going to list you as a beneficiary in their will. I think similar with DAF, it's like by making sure you understand and you're having deep conversations and relationship building conversations, do they like, yeah, DAFs are, are good for all these reasons. You should talk first, you should talk to your financial advisors and accountants and lawyers and whoever you seek advice from, but you know, you should consider it and you should consider us as a beneficiary, both by the way, a beneficiary you can list in your DAF, um, you know, if that person were to pass away, that's an important thing, but also just as you're making grants out of it. So important flag um, that you just mentioned. I think the second is increasing how you, um, where and when you mention donor-advised funds in your donor engagement and communication. So once you've become more informed and educated and feel more comfortable with it, it's about bringing it up in one-on-one donor conversations, um, in your fundraising appeals, simple things like, you know, click to donate here and another link that says, uh, click here to support with your donor advised fund. And this is so important because believe it or not, because they historically haven't been that usable, someone with a DAF kind of often forgets about it, or they'll just click and donate with a credit card and say like, oh, this will just be easier for a one-off gift. But you're missing the opportunity to not only get a larger gift, but know that that donor has a DAF, which is is like your wealth screener. It's like telling you, oh, wait, <laughs> this person both likely has a lot more where that came from, and they take philanthropy very seriously. So increasing the amount that you communicate about DAFs is huge. And the third thing is making it super easy for those donors. So having a space on your website, um, especially a lot of people will have a ways to give or ways to support section where they'll list different things you can do. Make sure you have a section on donor advised funds, clearly list your EIN because that's the best way for someone to look you up in their portal and not mix you up with another organization with a similar name it happens all the time. Um, oh. And, you know, Going the extra mile to really simplify that is using Chariot's tools. So um, you can actually not only tell someone to make a DAF gift and send them to their platform. Instead, if you use Chariot's DAF pay button, you can put that right on your website 
And then you know when the gift is initiated, you capture the donor's name and email, and the gifts are all processed electronically instead of getting those checks in the mail. So I would say there's those three steps anyone can do right now, and those are easy. And then there's also kind of a leveling up technology step with what Chariot's doing to take it even further. Yeah, I would love to know some of the um, workflow that Chariot offers. I think we might have to have a whole podcast just just on that because I'm trying to wrap my arms around some of this. I mentioned before, no credit card fees, but are there any fees? I mean, was I being foolish with just, you know, automatically going to credit card processing? Oh yeah, we're saving there. Is there a fee that we do need to know about when you're distributing your DAF or depositing into your DAF or when a nonprofit accepts the DAF donation? Is there a fee going on there someplace? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, When a donor is using a DAF, those platforms, most of them don't have um, a specific fee for an outbound payment. There might be like a small ACH fee or something along those lines, but they're charging like management fees and and investment fees on the assets in the account. I mean, that's how those those banks and managers, you know, make their income. And yeah, when someone just goes through their DAF and writes you a check, there might not be like a headline fee, but there are costs in issuing a check, going through the mail, um, time delays, all those kinds of things. Chariot has two methods that we work through non-pro- work with nonprofits. Uh, the tool, the DAF pay button is integrated directly into donation forms that we partner with. Um, So there are a number of fundraising platforms where that's a native integration. It can automatically be on or in some cases need to be turned on, but you can put that right in your donation forms. Um, In those instances, there is a processing fee, like like a credit card of 2.9%. But nonprofits who don't want those fees can work with us directly. And there is a subscription model to use the Cherry Tools of different tiers that come with a large amount of volume that you get transaction fee free in addition to other tools and services from Chariot. So those that come and subscribe and work with us directly do get to avoid uh, those fees. Got it. Well, still, we're talking billions. So you have to, it's the cost of doing business. You have to spend money to make money. So, um, but I didn't want to, I wanted to qualify what, you know, my little burst of, oh, saving credit card fees, that first light bulb that went, that went off. Um, well, so no, now- and it's an important, I mean, like I said, there are plans and ways to also make that fee free for the donor, yeah. which is huge. Um, but it's also, if you can get a larger gift, that's way bigger than the credit card. Yeah. Fee, Who cares about the fees? Yeah. You want to make. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So now, I love the fact that when you said before you can donate an art collection, I had this visual in my head of like this, you know, how do you take all this? How do I take all the artwork on my walls and like deposit it? Like I had this crazy, funny visual, but how does that happen? How does a donor donate assets like an art collection or jewelry or heirloom pieces into their DAF and then the DAF liquidates it, which is much better than the nonprofit, I would assume, because there's some expertise there about, oh, this piece of jewelry should really 
earn this amount of sale versus me. I wouldn't know. I'd just be like, yeah, that sounds good. So how does that happen? And then the funds are liquidated. Then don't like, how does that whole thing happen? I had a funny visual in my head, which I need you to fix my thoughts there. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, a large amount of um, the value that's moving into dApps is in the form of just cash. Yeah. Um, The, 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 I think it's about 40 or 45% is in the form of publicly traded securities, which is a more straightforward kind of like broker account transfer. And then I think it's about 15 or 20% that is in the form, or might be less than that, 15 to 10 to 15% in the form of more like illiquid securities. So those can be shares of companies that are not publicly traded um, and ownership and other assets like you're talking about that are um, less, I'll call them liquid. They're like less easily traded. It, I'm sure it depends which bank you're working with and which um, which specific DAF platform as a donor. Um, but I think like a transfer of title of the ownership of the asset is likely what um, how it gets moved into an account. And I'm not sure exactly like I wouldn't consider myself an expert in fine art movement and where it's stored and and how exactly it's sold. But um, those are things that especially the large commercial DAFs and these mega banks like Fidelity and Vanguard and Schwab and what Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, they all manage, you know, billions and billions of dollars in DAFs and their private bank functions are have capabilities built up to to handle those more like complex transactions. because um, it's a matter of getting a fair market value of it. I remember right. back in my right. banking days, we had to do this with like a a wine collection was um was used as a as a form of collateral for a loan. <laughs> really? <laughs> so there's interesting things that, wow. that happen in the like they're not the that's not my network. world. My wine collection <laughs> would definitely not be collateral for a loan, I'm sure. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, exactly. Wow, this is so, so interesting. I'd love to see what the next five years are going to bring. If I had a crystal ball, I bet we're going to see a lot of movement because, of course, we're you know seeing different ways to pay and then stock, crypto, DAF, right? It's all um, options. It's flexibility. And as a nonprofit, we need to be agile and make sure that we're making it easier for our donors and we're capitalizing on the billions of dollars that are out there. I'd love to wrap up with just, can you give us a little bit more flavor about what it is like to work with charity, um, chariot, um, if it's okay with you, I'm going to drop into the show notes, how to get in touch with you, how to get in touch yeah. with Chariot, your blog that you mentioned. I bet we can find some good articles there. We're going to put that all in the show notes, but I just want to get a little better, better understanding of what what your platform offers and what benefits yeah. you can bring to the nonprofit and how we can get onboarded with you. Yeah, of course. Um so Chariot's core product that people are most familiar with is uh, DAF Pay. So DAF that's the Pay. name of our button that you can implement into a donation form on your website, on campaign pages, anywhere that you're digitally fundraising, linking to that in an email or a QR code at an event. So you can come to givechariot.com. You can sign up for that directly. And all of those, we call them components, wherever you want to place it, are 
simple snippets of code that can be placed right into a web form or, or different types of forms. So um, we work with our clients to, to help implement those and have a variety of plans depending on exactly what your needs, all the way from a kind of DIY $100 a month for a smaller organization um, up to, we work with the American Cancer Societies and PETAs and Michael J. Fox Foundations of the world that have much more complex kind of like enterprise level needs of how we implement um, these fundraising tools in all these different instances. So that's where you'll see Chariot's tools on the front end, I'll call it, like where the donor's experiencing it. And um, that helps you, you know, activate donors with DAFs to use it, which is important. And also the, the payment processor itself, when a donor is going through, they are reminded of their account balance, which is really important to anchor them to a much higher dollar amount than where they may have started when they mm. intended to donate. And we offer easy ways to boost your gift. So actually 30% of the donors that go through our portal for giving uh, increase their gift from their original intention once they're reminded wow. of their balance and have these boost options. Um, and then the second step after, you know, the, the donor experience and helping you to, to raise more funds and find those DAF donors is really improving how you engage and steward those donors. So you get their name and email immediately in your chariot dashboard when they make a gift. So you can reach out and thank them, um, which that's never been possible. You, you donors or nonprofits are always in the dark. Uh, gifts were initiated on another platform. You only knew once it arrived. You rarely had contact information. It's always been a real nightmare. So closing the loop on that stewardship for these major donors is huge. And then the last piece is the processing. So like I said, historically, these gifts would arrive as checks in the mail at different points of time with scattered data and information. Um, with Chariot, it's an end-to-end -end processing. So the gift is initiated there we uh, send it to your account electronically, no matter where the donation came from across all the different dApps that we integrate with. Wow. So much more. We're going to have to do a part two here because I, I still have a lot of questions like employee benefits. I'm kind of wondering where it is there. And is that something that we're going to see? Like I could go through my employee benefits and make sure that my 401k is all Automated. I don't even know how the, all that thing, all that's connected. I know our people and culture team here at One Cause, yeah, they take us through it once a year. I can do my HSA. I can do my 401k. I can do this, that, and the other thing. But are we going to see that more in employee benefits? Do you, is that, a, is that a fair question? Or is that a stupid question? No, that is not stupid at all. It's really important. Um, yes, is the answer. I mean, Morgan ah. Stanley at work, which is a big provider of employee benefits, just uh, I think in October announced that uh, DAFs would be a standard part of their package for any clients. We at Chariot as a company, we have it as an employee benefit where I have an automatic um, amount every month that I put into my donor advised fund and it's matched by the employer. So we have matched DAF contributions instead of oh, matched. Yeah. I was going to ask that, but I was too, I was too embarrassed, but that I was thinking no. that. Okay. There we and go. That's, I mean, that's it. We don't, so we use a company called Daffy is one. There's a company Daffy. called Charity Vest, Groundswell. There's a couple providers that we know of. Um, but this is like it. If if we want to dream about better worlds, like if every company offered DAF contribution matching <clears throat> instead of individual gift matching, 
like just imagine the headaches that fundraising teams would avoid tracking down matching gifts, the lost gifts that don't get matched. So like it's a it's a real burden and missed opportunity for employees, wow. for employers, for fundraisers, for nonprofits. Like it's it's Oh, I'm really glad you exciting. said something because that was, I was thinking that I'm like, no, that would be that would be silly, Dawn. Don't ask that question. No. <laughs> but no. yeah, so it, you know what? We're gonna have to do a part two for sure. I still I have lots of questions. This has been so enlightening and I'm I'm pretty excited. Where do you see it going? We're gonna wrap up with that. Where do you see DAFs going in the next three to five years? Yeah, I mean, the forecasts from some researchers, financial market researchers, are that there could be a trillion dollars in DAFs in five years um, at the current growth rates. And that that would mean over $200 billion donated to nonprofits from DAFs uh, on an annual basis. So this is, I think, going to fundamentally change philanthropy um, for the better. I think the world would be a better place if, you know, there's over 60 million people in the US that have 401ks. What if there were 60 million people that used apps instead of 3 million and we were activating people to be more intentional and accountable with their philanthropy? Um, Can you do recurring donations from DAFs? Can you can you make it recurring? Yep. You can. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. If you're a nonprofit. Oh, (laughs) is this good for anyone? What about segments? Is are we talking that this is really for. Like, should a grassroots organization be thinking about this small? Is it for everyone? I mean, any 501c3 nonprofit can receive a donor advised fund gift. Um, I mean, if you don't have any donors yet, uh, then, but as long as you have some donors, like you, most people would be surprised. The first question we always get is, how do I find DAF donors? And the first answer is you probably already have them. They just might only be supporting you with their credit card today. And you just never know until you make it easier for them. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it's more relevant or most relevant, I should say, for if someone's got a bigger donor file, they're likely going to have more DAF donors that they're under engaging or don't know about. But I mean, any nonprofit that's looking ahead and seeing those figures about how philanthropy is shifting definitely should be focused on it. So it's not, a, it's not so much about your segment or your, the size of your nonprofit. It's more the size of your database. The larger pool of donors, the more chances are that you have somebody already that has a DAF account. Yeah. And, and I think um, the, yeah, the segments, I mean, they're kind of a lot where DAF giving goes is pretty aligned to where charitable giving goes. I mean, like, Faith and, and religion is a big one. Higher ed and education is a big, like, of course. it's yeah. pretty similar. Wow. Okay. Mitch, would you come back? And I mean, I feel like this is going to be <laughs> rapid growth um, with DAFs, and we're going to hear a lot more about it. I would say just in the past couple of weeks, that's all I've been hearing. So I hope you can join us again. Um, perhaps you can come to the RAISE conference in, in September yeah. in Nashville, and um, we can corner you for you know, a few hours and uh, you can give us more information, but we have to keep this conversation going. I hope you'll join us again. I think we're going to be doing a webinar with you where we're going to get a little bit more technical, educational, and look at different ways we can, you know, use DAFs to grow end of year funding, uh, fundraising, giving Tuesday and, and things of that nature. So I think you'll be joining us in July. Is that right? 
That's correct. Yeah, I'm super excited. Um, love to do something more interactive with the audience too, because I there you have lots of questions, and I know everyone else listening oh, has yeah. lots of questions. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? Don't be like me. Be brave and courageous, and ask your questions. Just don't think about them because uh, there was a few things I was too shy about, but I learned that I probably should have asked. Mitch, it's been such a pleasure. Fearless fundraisers. That's about all we have time for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's Raise Nation topic. I know I did. I'm sure you can tell, and I hope you enjoyed your daily dose of fundraising inspiration. Please tune in for a new episode release every Thursday at 1230 p.m. That's Thursdays, 1230 p.m. Eastern time for all our new episodes. But in the meantime, we stream everywhere. We're on demand at onecause.com and we're live at the Raise Conference. So go ahead and listen to um, wherever you want to find us and be sure to follow us so that you can get notifications about new guests and um not miss a single episode. Fundraisers, you are doing amazing things out there. If you'd like to be a guest on this show, please reach out to us at hello at onecause.com. We'd love to have you and put a little spotlight on your mission. I would like to thank our sponsor, One Cause, for making this episode possible. One Cause is driving the future of fundraising with easy to use digital fundraising solutions that help nonprofits connect with donors. Check it out at onecause.com and please visit the resource tab on the homepage with a broad catalog of free content and hopefully you'll find it all helpful to grow your impact. A huge shout out and thanks again to my guest, Mitch Stein from Chariot. We're going to get all the information to get in touch with Mitch in the show notes. Not to worry there because I'm sure you probably have more questions. Mitch, I really appreciate you taking me through this, putting it on baby steps for me and just talking about the landscape of, of death. Thank you so much for being with us today. Yes, thanks for having me, Don. really appreciate it. Well, I do have one more question for you. Um, any last words of inspiration for our audience? Yeah, I, I would just say this can be an intimidating topic, um, and especially when it's new to people. And similar to you, like what you were saying is ask the questions, like just get engaged and and don't be afraid. Uh, and me in particular, like I love answering these things. So you can message me on LinkedIn. I would be happy to have a conversation about it. Any questions you have. Uh, so be fearless, you know, and, and ah, don't be afraid good line. Yeah. We love that line. Be fearless. All right, Mitch. Thank you so much again. That is a wrap until next time. I'm Don Lego. This is Raise Nation Radio. You stay fearless out there. <laughs> <laughs>